Hi everyone, I'm Gary Nall. Nice to have you with us today. We begin our program with a study from Capital Medical University in China, and it's about one of the oldest herbs in the world, and certainly one of the most medicinal, ginkgo, ginkgo biloba, G-I-N-K-G-O. Why is it important? Because this study found that it has very beneficial effects on people who've had a stroke, what is known as an ischemic stroke, which involves reduction or blockage of blood flow to the brain. This was a randomized, double-blind study, 3,163 men and women recovering from mild to moderate ischemic stroke. Within two days of their stroke, the participants received intravenous ginkgo uh, lactone and uh, and the remainder were given a placebo for two weeks. Most participants showed cognitive impairment immediately following their stroke with, uh, with what is called the Montreal Cognitive Assessment Scores that averaged 17 out of 30. Two weeks later, however, those who received the Genko had scores that averaged much higher, almost four points higher, compared to those who received the placebo. So that's a big deal. In fact, if they continued, it increased by an additional 5.5 points in the Ginkgo trial at 90 days. I've said this many times. One of the best things you can do if you've had a stroke to protect your brain from further damages, and this is strong in the medical literature, is hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Also, there are nutrients that can help the brain as well. Cognitex is a good one as well. So... Ginkgo biloba makes a difference. And in China, they use it as a preventative also. Also, another good study is on Moringa, M-O-R-I-N-G-A, leaf extract. It outperformed drugs for oral precancer lesions. This is uh, from Pato University in India. A new trial published in the Journal of Alternative Medicine suggests a natural gel from the moringa tree works better than a conventional medicine cream for shrinking white mouth lesions that can turn cancerous. So that's good. Again, I'm sharing information not knowing if you'll need it now or ever, or maybe someone else will. But this is important because these are all natural, non-toxic ways of helping the body, and they're also in the peer-reviewed literature. Now, also, there's a big issue concerning energy drinks. We're using a lot of energy drinks in the United States. A lot of young people use it. A lot of people stay up late at night. College students stay up late at night. High schoolers stay up late at night. They're on their computers and and tablets and uh, iPads, iPhones, till 2, 3 in the morning sometimes. Well, then they don't get a good night's sleep. They wake up fatigued. So what do they do? They have caffeine or double caffeine, or they have energy drinks, and that gives them an awful lot of caffeine. So this is from the Newcastle University in Great Britain, and it talks about a warning about researchers are linking energy drinks to suicidal thoughts in children. That's correct. New research revealed that energy drinks could pose a greater risk to children and younger people's brains than previously thought. Those who consumed energy drinks were shown to have a higher risk of mental health problems such as depression, 
suicidal thoughts, ADD and ADHD, and anxiety. And uh, this was from a study on the, uh, for the Center of Translational Research in Public Health at a university. So there were 57 separate studies with 1.2 million children. And they found from 21 countries, and that was their conclusion. It found that boys consume more energy drinks than girls, while many studies reported an association between energy drink consumption and alcohol use, binge drinking, smoking, and other substance abuse. But it also showed greater risk of suicide. Now, what is the number one cause of death in boys 10 to 14? Suicide. How many people watching and listening right now remember going to high school? Did you ever hear of a single suicide? I didn't, and I went to the largest high school in West Virginia, and not a single suicide. So that's important. Now, this study is from Princess Sri Savangada College of Medicine in Thailand. It's about cabbage and cabbage leaves. Do they really relieve pain? Well, cabbage leaves are sometimes referred to as the poor man's poultice due to their pain-relieving effects, long considered as nothing more than a folk remedy. However, a randomized, open-labeled, controlled clinical trial demonstrates that not only are cabbage leaves pain-relieving properties real, they work better than a common gel that is widely used in topical non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Researchers at Thailand's leading college of medicine put cabbage leaves' effectiveness for osteoarthritis to the test against a cooling gel pad, or what is called dicolophenic gel. One group used a cooling gel pad for 20 minutes a day, while another group used the dichlorophenic gel four times a day. The third group applied cabbage leaves for one hour a day. After four weeks, both the cabbage leaf group and the cooling gel pad had significant improvements in pain, as well as Oxford Knee Score, uh, which measures pain and function in the knees. Outcomes were similar for the cooling pad and cabbage leaf, and outperformed substantially the gel. Quote, their therapeutic effectiveness was better than that of the uh, dye gel. Our cabbage leaf therapy demonstrated substantial pain reduction in patients with knee osteoarthritis with no side effects. Furthermore, our cabbage leaf therapy is an easily accessible, safe option with low economic burden in terms of hospital expenses for patients with osteoarthritis undergoing costly treatments with substantial clinically associated side effects and adverse events, end quote. So we've known for a long time that cabbage has substances, phytonutrients that help with ulcers and especially gastric ulcers. I remember once I was working with uh, a former uh, journal, city journal editor, major newspaper in New York, and Guy Richards was his name. And I was in my mid-twenties. He was in his mid-sixties. And he came from the old school, drank a lot of coffee, smoked, uh, outstanding journalist. 
and we were both working together on an important uh, investigative uh, journalism piece. And one day, he said, I, I, I can't stay. I'm in too much pain. I said, what's wrong? He said, well, he said, I've got gastric ulcers. I've had them for about three years. I take medicines. I get side effects in medicine, but there's nothing I can do. And I said, well, let me try something. He said, what? I said, I've got a juice. So I went in the other room, and I just so happened I had just juice that morning, and I was using cabbage, and because I brought down a lot of cabbage from the farm, Fertiler Farm. So I juiced up some extra cabbage juice. I gave it to him. I said, just try this. Just drink a glass, eight-ounce glass. And he did, and it seemed to have helped him. And then I added in some other nutrients, some herbs, um, and anise, and fennel, and uh, he said, well, that feels a little better. But I made him up two quarts. He took home with him. The next day he came back, he says, my goodness. He says, I don't know what's in here, but my pain is gone. Two months later, his ulcers were gone. Why? Because in that cabbage, in all cabbage, you have sulfur compounds. And the cabbage leaves increase the skin penetration of beneficial compounds in the leaves, like flavonoids. And that is anti-inflammatory and reduces swelling. And it heals inflammation in the body. So if you have something you want to put on your body from pain, get a applied chilled cabbage leaves because it leads to vasoconstriction, which also helps decrease swelling. And for ulcers, one of the best things is cabbage juice. And finally, from the Florey Institute for Neuroscience and Mental Health, high-fiber diets can delay clinical onset of Huntington's disease. Well, the Florey professor, head of the epigenetics and neuroplasticity group, said the results of a study published in Brain Behavior and Immunity indicate that dietary fiber could delay the onset of Huntington's symptoms. There is currently no cure or effective treatment for this devastating disease, which can strike in the prime of life. It's always deadly. You always die. By the way, Huntington's disease is a debilitating inherited progressive neurodegenerative disorder caused by faulty gene. And patients experience worsening motor, cognitive, and psychiatric symptoms over many years. The disease also causes gastrointestinal symptoms. And in recent years, uh, we've discovered disruption to the composition of bacteria populations within the gut. So, working with a preclinical model, they tested the impact of a high, medium, and zero levels of dietary fiber consumption. And what they found was very exciting. For the first time, they showed that a high fiber intake not only enhanced gastrointestinal function, but it also improved cognitive and behavior. I've worked with a lot of people with Huntington's, and I don't claim cure, but I do claim improvement, and that's important, because cleaning up the gut, uh, helping to turn off inflammation, and helping the epigenetic uh, element within the gene is always important. One last one, gut bacteria can process dietary fiber into an 
anti-allergy weapon, finds a new study from Tokyo University of Science. Now, there's an intricate relationship between humans and your gut microbiome, or the good bacteria. And there's a lot of science going on right now. All I can say is this. If you have between 35 to 50 grams of high-quality, unprocessed, fibrous foods like whole grains and nuts and seeds and legumes and pulses and fruits, berries in particular are very good, you're going to colonize billions and hundreds of billions of good bacteria in your gut. Now, you can supplement that by putting in some prebiotics and probiotics like apple cider. That's a prebiotic. And that's good. Beet juice, that's a prebiotic. That's good. Sauerkraut. There's a lot of ways of getting good bacteria. And then that means your immune system will be stronger and healthier. And that means you're going to be better able to withstand a lot of the challenges that occur to all of us in life. Unfortunately, an unhealthy diet, the diet most Americans consume, 93%, I repeat, 93% of Americans consume a very unhealthy diet. They don't have good bacteria. As a result, sugar, yeast, animal proteins, alcohol, they produce unhealthy bacteria. Now you have an unhealthy immune system, a weakened immune system. So something that significant should be paid attention to. You need the good bacteria because that good bacteria, based upon a plant-based diet, our gut breaks down the good bacteria uh, from the fiber into small molecules called short-chain fatty acids. And those interact with the immune system and helps mediate uh, the activity of what are called mast, M-A-S-T, cells. And these white blood cells are loaded with small sacs called granulus, which are full of enzymes and signaling molecules like histamine. So when a one, one of these cells detects an antigen, a foreign body, a virus, bacteria, parasite, it becomes active and undergoes degranulization, releasing these substances to nearby tissue and triggering a fast immune response. So, once again, we have the science. We know it. Good bacteria from good food. Bad bacteria from bad food. The outcome, disease or not disease. That's the latest on health and healing. We're going to have an interesting show today, so please stay tuned. Back in a moment. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. We try to bring you insights into issues that take you to the truth of a matter. So then you can, with all the different inputs, you can decide, do I want to do something or not? Do I want to consume a drug or a process or a vaccine? But at least I know more information. I can be more informed. There's three ways we deal with information. We either adapt to it because we've been conditioned in effect, propagandized over television, in schools, through our own cultures, our religions. Think how many times a priest, a, a rabbi, iman, uh, a preacher, have gotten up and said, this is the right side and this is the wrong side. This is white, this is black, this is good, this is bad. And so the people went along with it, believing them. How often were they right? Only when you look back, do you see 
what the truth is. And even then it's not easy because today social media wants to scrub anything they've done wrong, take no responsibility, and then attack anyone who wants to show us the truth about our own actions and behaviors. Well, so historically people have survived by adapting, at least adapting to things that were on the right side. And then then they can live a normal life without all the stresses. They certainly are going to have stress of different types, but it's not going to be an existential stress, which every day they live with this unrequited angst, like something's wrong and I don't know what it is. I just feel like something bad is going to happen. I don't know what it is. Well, certainly today, with so many things going wrong and out of our control, and our politicians not correcting it, and industry profiting from it, and people we've never seen didn't know anything about, unelected, we're deciding what we should do with our lives instead of we deciding. So that's when you maladapt, when you simply give up, you become apathetic and say, oh, what's that? What's the use? So many people are corrupt, young, and how many people are not? So many people lie. How many people tell the truth? So many people will use and abuse you. How many people honor a selfless pursuit and appreciate you as a unique human being? Billions. But unfortunately, we pay attention to the minority in a group that comes to us with some nefarious or negative action. Pharmaceuticals are right at the top of that list of doing that. It controls the media. It controls regulatory bodies. It controls through its lobbyist money. It puts in campaigns the state and federal legislators. It controls the scientific community. Because if you want to be accepted, you want to get grants, you want to get funding, then you go along with them. And they're smart. And then they propagandize people. They hire celebrities. And these celebrities then go forth getting lots of money and then tell us what we should do, what we should eat and drink, what we should buy and believe. And almost always they're wrong. So by maladapting, we contribute to the problem. We keep money in their banks. We watch their, we read the New York Times or the Washington Post or listen to and watch MSNBC or PBS. Then we're contributing to the problem. That Stockholm Syndrome, where the oppressed suddenly associates with the oppressor. Not good. Patty Hearst style. So one day we wake up and our children are obese and have diabetes and heart disease, adult diabetes. And we can't figure it out. But we do know that the doctor gives us these drugs and we'll give them to our kids. We'll take them ourselves. We're an over-medicated society. So what if I suggested to you that the number one medication in the world, Ozempic, should be challenged at every level. Well, who's challenging it? Oprah? No. No. Celebrities? Oh, not at all. What if it has side effects? Well, we would know that, wouldn't we? The FDA would protect us. You think? Here's Tucker Carlson, someone that I disagree with, on a lot of issues, especially environmental issues. and uh, But on this one and some other cases, he is correct. 
listen to him and his guest. His guest is a whistleblower who worked within the pharmaceutical industry. You're going to learn stuff you did not know. And for some of you, this might be preventing a lot of illness, even death. Because this is a drug that should have been banned. Oh, and it is banned in the country where it's manufactured. Then allow it to be used. Then why, if they're not allowing it where it's manufactured, why are we allowing it here? Let's listen to this interview. This is a part of our series of selecting an issue that impacts people, then showing you the truth, opening the doors behind it. Now to the clip. You'd think less than two years after the very public failure of the COVID vaccines that more people in this country would be skeptical of brand new pharma products. And maybe they are, but they don't seem very skeptical of Ozempic, which is a diabetes drug that apparently, at least in the short term, can help people lose weight. And on one level, you can see why they're not skeptical. This is a very fat country. That's a huge problem. And a lot of people, a lot of us, wouldn't mind losing 20 pounds by taking a pill. So why shouldn't we? Well, we thought it'd be interesting to hear the other side, a side that you are not hearing on the question of Ozempic from someone who knows a lot about it. Callie Means is the founder of TrueMed. He once worked for Pharma. He definitely does not now. And he joins us today in studio. Kelly, thanks so much for coming on. Pumped to be here, Tucker. So you want to lose 20, and I'm speaking from experience, you want to lose 20 pounds. You don't really want to stop eating pizza. This seems like a super quick way to get healthier. Um, why wouldn't you take Ozempic? Why shouldn't I take Ozempic? There's three big reasons Ozempic is very problematic. And I think really the Rosetta Stone to understanding what's gone wrong in healthcare and frankly, pharma industry corruption. The first point I want to make is that if a fish tank is dirty, you clean the tank. You don't drug the fish. And in America right now- <laughs> So they won't notice. In America right now, we've got a very dirty tank. 50% uh, of teens and 80% of adults are overweight. And this has happened in just a generation. We didn't become systematically lazier in the past generation as Americans and frankly suicidal. Um, something has happened. And the core mistake of Ozempic is that Obesity is not an Ozempic deficiency. Obesity is not the root cause of the problem. Obesity is one branch of the tree of underlying metabolic dysfunction that's ravaging our country. Um, as we talked about, with over 50% of Americans having prediabetes now, 33% of, of young Wait, adults- most Americans have prediabetes? Oh, it's by some measures, is up to 60%- Of the whole country? Uh, of adults and 33% of young adults and teens- and you have a diabetes doctor, you know, just a generation ago, wouldn't see one child in their entire careers uh, with diabetes. Now, diabetes, which, which again is cellular dysfunction, is cellular disruption, um, totally caused by environmental factors and what we're eating. That's, um, that's close to becoming, right, uh, upwards of 50% of kids. It's 33% and growing radically. Um, teens, 25% uh, have fatty liver disease, which is something you only used to see in elderly alcoholics. So there's a, there's a metabolic health crisis um, that's caused by decisions, right? The USDA, which is completely corrupt, the guidelines that set nutrition standards, 95% of the guideline committees paid for by food companies, they say that a two-year-old, that 10% of their diet could be added sugar. We have more money from agriculture subsidies in America today go to cigarettes, go to tobacco than vegetables. 90% of subsidies go to highly processed food. We've propped this industry up. Uh, food stamps, right, which 15% of Americans depend on for nutrition, 10% of all food stamps funding goes to soda. We're the only country in the world that allows that. So we goes have to soda? Goes to soda. So, so the, food so the stamp, U.S. government pays people to drink soda? 
We, the U.S. government, direct from the federal treasury more than $10 billion per year go from the federal treasury to soda companies through the food stamp program. The number one item purchased with food stamps in America is addictive diabetes water. We prop that up with food stamps. As we talked about last time, I actually used to work and consult with Coke, and we paid the NAACP and other groups to say it was racist to, to take that away. Um, we totally rigged the debate. So through a corrupt system, we actually subsidize soda. We do 10 of these things, right? We do 10 easily identifiable things that are causing us, frankly, to be poisoned. And instead of talking about the root cause, we're saying that a weekly injection that you have to take for your entire life that costs $20,000 per patient when 80% of American adults are overweight or obese, we're saying that is the answer for obesity. Um, we have a dirty tank and pharma has basically changed our consensus reality to say, you know, when all these things are happening all at once due to environmental factors, our savior, what we, you do the math on $20,000 per patient, 80% of American adults, we're talking, and this is clear on Wall Street, food stocks are going down, pharma stocks are going up because this is, they're doing cartwheels on Wall Street. This is on track because of government funding, because we are stand to put trillions of government funding into this drug to be the most successful drug in American history. So what, uh, wow, um, there's a lot there. But let me just get back to the individual decision Great. to take or not to take this drug. So you're overweight, you have pre-diabetes, and your doctor says, you know, what you would say, which is that's a very serious thing to have. Just because it's common doesn't mean it's not bad, it is bad. And this drug can cure it. Why wouldn't you do that? It segues really well into the second issue why Ozempic is so problematic. So on a societal level, you know, I think anyone that agrees, you know, if you're just just looking at this issue, um, you know, putting everybody and pumping everyone with Ozempic for their lives isn't the first thing you do to solve obesity. But even if it was perfect, no. even if it was right, even if it was perfect. But the problem is when you get to the individual level, this drug medically is a absolute disaster. Medically? Medically, it's a disaster. So all you need to know is that Novo Nordics, the company that makes this drug, recently passed LVMH to become the most valuable company in Europe. So this 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 company, most valuable company in Europe, they don't allow this drug for obesity in Europe. Almost all of Novo Nordics revenue is coming from taking advantage of Americans. This is not the first line of defense for obesity in any European country. It's not approved by the government regulators. They are saying on their stock calls, that they're, all of their growth is coming from the US. They're taking advantage of a broken US system in the United States. And when you dive into it, even people in the United States who are getting government funding, insurance funding for this drug, don't have to pay for it. 30% of them go off the drug within three months. So even though they're fully being paid for it, we're being told this is a lifetime drug, there's lawsuits coming just reported in the past couple of days on gastrointestinal issues and stomach paralysis. The drug itself essentially is uh, stomach paralysis. Um, what, what is stomach paralysis? The the the, the drug that, that what it does is essentially it it, it sterilizes its stomach uh, paralyzes your stomach um, to to make you not be able to process food correctly. And there's studies now saying that that stomach paralysis, the really uh, messing with your ability to digest food, actually stays after you go off the drug. So there's lawsuits now with people with severe gastrointestinal issues after coming off the drugs that's being pronounced and that that's coming out in lawsuits. Um, additionally, because of that you're consistently seeing patients who go off the drugs uh, gain the weight back. So that, that, that's almost, uh, I think, universally accepted even by Novo Nordics. When you go off the drug, you gain the weight back. But again, 
we're seeing most people that take the drug within the first year come off it because the gastrointestinal issues, the stomach issues are so pronounced. Additionally, the EU, again, where this company is based, uh, just launched a, uh, a, a probe into suicidal ideation caused by Ozempic. You can't even make this up. But the EU is doing a, uh, a massive probe because there's so many reports of increased depression and increased suicide. Now, I was debating a Harvard doctor about six months ago, and I, I brought this up because it's kind of obvious. Uh, your serotonin, what produces your contentment and happiness, 95% is made in the gut. And again, the Ozempic essentially is gut dysfunction. So when you mess with the serotonin and mess with the gut, a lot of unexpected things happening. And very understandably, and really what's to be expected, is we're actually seeing reports of a mass increase in mental health disorders and even suicidal ideation uh, from Ozempic. Um, you know, kind of you just back up and ask, you know, this miracle drug is too good to be true. It's really coming through. Wait, so um, you're saying there could be a downside? It's not perfect? 30% of people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I want to say this, and, 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 and I'm a libertarian. You know, I think uh, people should be able to take Ozempic. I think most drugs should be legal, frankly. Um, the problem is where the rubber really hits the road is there is an all out assault to convince us that this is the appropriate drug. Again, th this is the target market. This is why the stocks are popping and why Wall Street's going crazy. It's the biggest TAM, the biggest target market for any drug in American history. It's 80% of, of American adults, uh, but it's being fast-tracked. You wouldn't believe this, but the American Academy of Pediatrics recently said that they recommend this as a first line of defense for teens. And the study basing that decision for the American Academy of Pediatrics to say that every obese or overweight teen, which is 50%, should take this drug, was a 68-week study. We had a 68-week study for a lifetime recommendation to 50% of teens in America to, to receive these injections. So, so I guess nothing would surprise me coming from the American Academy of Pediatrics, which seems really like a vector for badness, yeah. um, given their performance during COVID. However, you just still have to wonder how... How did that happen? That seems reckless. Like, how could a body like that, which has some residual moral authorities because of its name, how could they do that? You are transitioning like perfectly uh, into the third point, which is that the reason Ozempic, I think, is such a important story in America today, is because it's really again, it's it's the Rosetta Stone of understanding corruption. Um, our institutions, particularly the healthcare industry, uh, has completely let us down. And you just step back and think about it. Pharma is the largest spender on TV news ads. It's the largest spender. Novo Nordisk specifically is the largest spender on foundational obesity research. It's the largest spender on uh, medical to medical groups like the AAP. It's one of the largest um, uh, funders of actual civil rights groups. So you actually can't even believe this. But Novo Nordisk is paying the NAACP to say that not supporting Ozempic is a civil rights issue. So you're racist if you're against giving kids a diabetes drug? It's on the NAACP website, and the NAACP is a registered lobbyist for Ozempic, saying that what? you are a racist because there's disproportionate issues uh, with obesity in certain communities, that you're a racist for not supporting government funding for Ozempic. Of course. And the NAACP takes money from the drug maker? They're a registered lobbyist for the drug maker. How can the NAACP be a registered lobbyist they for have anybody? A, they have a lobbying organization. They have to declare who their lobbying clients are. 
and has reported in NPR very recently, they are registered as a lobbyist for Novo Nordisk. And on their website, they're saying it is an uh, example of systemic racism to not support federal funding for Ozempic. So this is what I saw working for pharma. You just have to ask who people trust. People trust the medical groups. They trust civil rights groups. They trust the media. You have a situation where uh, additionally, Novo Nordics, and this is reported, has given $30 million in direct bribes to obesity doctors. You would be hard pressed to find a doctor who treats obesity in this country who has not received some kind of donation, not, not research grants, but direct consulting grants from Novo Nordisk. Like just sending him cash? Exactly. So How can doctors take cash from drug makers? Oh, th th this, is, this is what's done. The drug makers spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year in direct cash payments to doctors. But you can't get the drug except with a script written by the doctor. Yeah, who, prescription. Who, 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 who take direct consulting fees from... How can that be legal? This is, how, this is you know, what you watch uh, things about the opioid crisis and how the opioid uh, completes the same playbook. You know, I actually, when I was working for pharma, the opioid crisis uh, was in full effect. And there was a panel in 2012. And the panel was full of outside experts recommending guidance on opioids. The head of that panel was a man named Dr. Philip Pizzo, who was the dean of Stanford Med School at the time. He was a pain specialist. At the moment he was appointed to that panel, Stanford received a grant from Pfizer, who's one of the largest opioid makers, of $3 million for pain research. He appointed 90% of that panel who are also conflicted, who received direct research and personal consulting fees from opioid makers, and they released re relaxed opioid standards. This is exactly what's happening in obesity. You have Dr. Fatima Stanford, the head of obesity research at Harvard, pay tens of thousands of dollars by Novo Nordics, just started a new- Directly? Directly. Direct. No, no, not, not to mention, of course, millions of dollars of research grants. She's been paid tens of thousands well, of dollars. How can Harvard allow that? There, there are no conflict of interest rules in medicine. Harvard uh, is supporting her. And the NIH recently, it came out that 8,000 uh, research grants went to university professors who also have a direct conflict of interest uh, with the topic and the drug they're studying. How can the doc, I mean, how can you be a physician, even a teaching physician, and, and do that? I mean, that's so obviously unethical. It's so obvious. It's, it's so uh, omnipresent that this isn't it isn't discussed. I mean, you're, you're saying this like it, it's obvious. It's manifestly obvious. You hear this, most Americans are outraged. This is like, you know, you're swimming in water. You don't realize you're in water. This is how academia is. The food industry, if you, you know, taking it to food, which is making us sick, spends 11 times more on foundational nutrition research than, than the NIH. Pharma is the lifeblood, right, of foundational scientific research in this country. And then you get to the NIH. Of course, it's a revolving door between government and, and industry, um, and the vast majority of NIH grants go to pharma research. So, so the NIH is basically a grant-making organization, and this is just statistical, almost all going to research that has conflicts of interest with pharmaceutical drugs. The problem here is that every institution, all these institutions fundamentally make more money when we're sick. Ozempic doesn't cure obesity. It manages obesity for life, and that's a problem. Statins don't I'm sorry, I should have asked at the outset. You've made a couple references to it for life. Is that as advertised? Oh, no, no, that, that's so the if, if I sign up for Ozempic tomorrow, the physician will tell me you got to take this forever. Those are the instructions, yes. They, they, they admit that there's unknown metabolic problems <laughs> if you go off. That, that, that's, 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 um, that's on the box. No, no, this is a lifetime injection. The key thing here, Tucker, and, and, and again, getting the corruption, right? You're paying off the doctors. You're paying off the medical groups. 
fifty percent of TV news funding. I mean, you know, I, I oh, think I, it's I've seen it. Yeah, and <laughs> uh, and you know, there's RFKs talked about this back in the day with Roger Ailes. When you're when fifty percent of your bills, because I'm speaking the choir, but fifty percent of your bills are paid by um, a certain interest. Why didn't the news media have any curiosity during COVID? Why people were dying of COVID? Metabolically healthy people weren't dying of COVID. This is where the corruption and really where it all ties together. I, I'm sorry, we, will you describe that in a little more detail? We had probably the biggest event in American history since World War II, where we shut down the country, yes. where we really, I think, showed our weakness uh, just physically and mentally as Americans. You know, American COVID deaths were substantially higher uh, than other countries. And research, you know, it, it's not argued, has come out saying that the, the COVID was a foodborne illness. Um, dying of COVID was a foodborne illness. If you were metabolically healthy, if you had stable cholesterol, stable fasting glucose, weren't obese, you didn't die of COVID. Um, COVID disproportionately, overwhelmingly, even among older people, affected people with comorbidities. And we are a lot sicker in America. And the comorbidities were caused by eating bad food. Mostly. Comorbidities are obesity, heart disease, diabetes. Those are the main comorbidities. That, so if, if you did not have those, you were essentially not impacted by COVID and had an almost 0% chance of dying of COVID. So the media though, right, who's heavily funded by pharmaceutical companies, didn't have any curiosity about that, didn't have any curiosity, maybe this is a 9-11 moment that we're not at our best in, in, as America, right? We are a sick, depressed, infertile population. Sperm count is down 50% in just the past generation. 25% of women now have PCOS, the leading cause of infertility. We are having trouble reproducing as a species. And these are all connected. And there was a moment to talk about this. But instead, the media, the government institutions who are paid by pharma, pushed a pharmaceutical uh, solution with trillions of dollars of airtime uh, as, as the solution to our crisis. This, this was one of the greatest public policy mistakes in American history. What, after coming off of the worst public policy failure, I think one of the one of the worst in American history with the COVID response on every level, you know, keeping the bars open and shutting down the schools um, to, to pushing a, an effective pharmaceutical solution instead of root cause solutions. We're being asked to trust pharma when 80 percent of the American people, their bodies are like rebelling against them um, with obesity, which are clearly a sign of, of underlying issues where Ozempic and daily, you know, weekly shots is not the root cause. This, this just on its face doesn't make sense. And then you trace the corruptions. Again, Ozempic is paying off everyone. They're one of the five largest funders, the company itself, one of the five largest funders of news ads, one of the you know top research funders of obesity research, largest funders to university on the obesity topic. And, and the thing I, you know, kind of, kind of ram home here, Tucker, is you just have to look where the money is. So if you actually look at the analyst reports that are propping up these stocks, they're assuming an increase in obesity. So you talk about all the like the Nova Nordic's largest company uh, in Europe. They literally in in the, where the money hits the road, where people are investing billions of dollars, they're assuming increased rates of obesity over the next ten years in America. You actually, I was talking to a a doctor at Harvard. Uh, they, you know, they're underwriting a loan for a new obesity center where they can where they can treat an issue as infant. Those loans have projections for growth of obesity. They're not projecting that increased ozipic is going to decrease obesity. The loans that are underpinning these medical centers, if you go to any, any city in the country, the biggest, most beautiful building is, is you know, some kind of new pediatric you know, obesity center or cardiology center. 
Um, the, the loans assume increased rates of conditions. So fundamentally, we have the largest industry in the country, healthcare, not asking, ima imagine the leader saying, how do we reverse obesity? How do we cure obesity? They're not asking that. They're saying, how can we actually say obesity is not your fault? Oprah, who's involved with rate, Weight Watchers, just apologized for preaching personal accountability over the past decades. She said, it's not personal accountability. We're supporting Ozempic. This is becoming, obesity is becoming something. Do you think Oprah got paid? She's highly involved with Weight Watchers. Yeah, Weight Watchers has shifted from a personal accountability organization that it's been um, preaching for decades and is now a prescriber of Ozempic. They've totally changed because Ozempic is a better business model because you never go off of it. This is insane. So maybe one of the reasons this is um, accepted, people don't see it as totally crazy as I do, don't take Advil. So I, all of this seems crazy to me. But the average, say, 65-year-old person in this country right. is on how many drugs? The, uh, about, about seven. Seven. Yeah. Your turn to call in and share your points of view. Our talkback number is 888-874-4888. Back in a moment. Please stay with us. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. What I would like to do now is to share some insights from qualified sources about things that are happening in our lives, give you the problem, but also give you the solution. You can't solve a problem if you don't recognize that it exists. And in human nature, rare is the person that acknowledges made a mistake. Sorry, here's the lesson I learned from that mistake, so I'm hopeful not to repeat it. Because all of us make mistakes. It's just a normal part of life at all stages of life. It's not as if you develop a wisdom, an innate connection with the universe, and you live that life right through to the end. To the contrary. I've been fortunate and blessed in my life when I was very young, 20, 21, 22, 23, to have met some remarkably intelligent, far more than myself, uh, individuals who... Many were Nobel Prize winners. Some were some of the greatest scientists and physicians of our era. Rene Dubot, Buckminster Fuller, George Borgstrom, Linus Pauling. Uh, I mean, there's a long list of them. And why they uh, decided to um, entertain even conversations with me, I'm not aware. But the reality is that we were able to share uh, some professional insights, maybe because I was so pointed in the opposite direction of everyone else for a simple reason. And Linus Pauling asked me this once. Why are you doing this work? It's not going to win any awards. Uh, it's not going to get you any acknowledgement. You're spending a lot of time here. I suppose it's this simple. Take a look at what we have when it comes to any illness in America or public health issue. We have an official pronouncement of the problem and they always give us a solution, which always, for some reason, has to do with either a vaccine or a drug or medical procedure, like radical mastectomies when Happy Rockefeller, Nelson Rockefeller's wife, developed breast cancer, where it was found to have the genes, then she had her uh, breasts removed, and then everybody was supposed to get a mammogram from teenagers throughout their life every year. It may have been well-intended, but later we would find out, and it was proven, that the more mammographies you get, starting early in life, the greater chance you will develop a cancer from the radiation from the mammography itself. 
It didn't stop. It didn't slow it down. So then I started seeing this cognitive disconnect in science. I remember having a conversation. There were three of us. There was Linus Pauling, Dr. Abram Hoffer, MD, PhD, and the founder of the Orthomolecular Society, and Linus Pauling and I. And this conversation went on from about 10 in the evening to about 4 in the morning. And because they were not looking at this part of the problem, and this is where I live, and that is you expect human beings with all their beneficial qualities, potential, and flaws to make intelligent choices if their mindset is where the flaw is. So if a person is under stress, they constrict, their body constricts, heart rate goes up, hormones secrete, and they're going to give you an answer based upon the stress. It's epigenetically conditioned. It's almost like reaction, 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 not reason. We solve problems in life, no matter what the problem, by being reasonable, sitting down and reasoning through it. How did this problem occur? What are the likely options that we can change people in doing something? Just like obesity. We are more obese now than ever before in our history. Yet try to get the average person to do the right thing, which is easy and safe and healthy, no drugs, and they're going to reject it. I know this personally, possibly a little more intimately than most people because I've counseled tens of thousands of individuals one-on-one. I have worked with, in health support groups, over 200 health support groups, probably close to a million people. And I've reached tens of millions of people. Um, I don't talk about the numbers of people I reach, and but I will say this. I've seen a majority of the people who had serious illnesses, sometimes terminal, when they tried an alternative, it wasn't voluntarily. They had a daughter, a son, a mother, someone who listened to this show, someone who knows my work, and said, let's just try this. Everything else is tried. It doesn't work. Medicine says, have no treatment. It's going to work. Even when they're seeing improvement, they resist. I, I just wish that you could all be watching the conversations I've had with people who are terminally ill. They're, they're going to die. They should have already been dead. And how I, I, I have a hard time getting them out of this guest house and to start exercising or to get them to juice. Or one person was showing me empty juices. Then I found out this person was just putting them in the toilet. Didn't want to drink them. And yet their life was in the, in the balance. So please, I don't care what the problem. Look at it from a different perspective. And that's the only reason I've been successful in my life. I'm not brighter than anyone else. I'm just an average guy trying to do a little something different. I look at the disconnect between what we attempt and the outcome. If we only rewarded outcome, 95% of all professionals would be fired but we don't. We reward outcome even when it's disastrous. Isn't that amazing? And for a simple reason, because they lie about everything and they create these massive power structures that don't help us, and yet we continue to pay. When was the last time you saw a protest in the United States about where your money is spent? Tell me. Call me right now. I'd like to hear the date. I'd like to hear the number of people attended. 
You can't get professors or teachers or students to protest their debt, but they complain about it. Can't pay for my debt. There's no job there. Our artificial intelligence took it. Hmm. Automation took it. Did you, did you want to know if you would have an education that you could use to get a job and a living wage? No. So you didn't do your homework. That's right. Why should I? I'm a young person going to college. Did anyone in the university tell you, this is a course you really shouldn't take. This is a college you shouldn't come to. You don't need to be in college today. 80% of people shouldn't be in college. So do they, does the average person bear any responsibility for making consistently wrong choices, consistently wrong outcomes, and then crying victim, and then telling someone, bail me out, mom, dad, and they do. Well, what good does that do outside of assuaging some guilt? So right now, almost everything we've neglected, everything we refuse to protest, refuse to write a letter, refuse to show up and demonstrate, is now, it's, it's bearing a negative fruit, a negative virtue. On everything, there's no exception. When I read and I see a, a video of a 50-year-old man who suddenly identifies as a 12-year-old girl, so he goes to the school and he wants to be on the swimming team. Yeah, true story. And they put this guy on the swimming team. He's about, I'm guessing, 6'4", and here are these little 12-year-old girls, and he's so proud of himself getting all the ribbons, and he's even, I don't care if you think it's important or not, but this guy is fully intact, and he's in the shower room with 12-year-old girls. But that's cool, isn't it? Isn't that really wonderful? Isn't that wokeism at its finest? Well, that's what's happened to our perception of reality. Do you think there's ever going to be a blowback on that? I do. And no one's prepared for it. Because we're afraid to speak the truth to anything today. Instead, we deal in Obama and, and these other idiots' platitudes. Say what the people want to hear, but don't do anything that's going to make a difference. Yeah, in a constructive way. Make sure your friends are taken care of. And that's what we see. So when people are complaining about everything, I just ask a basic question. How did it happen? Who was responsible? What role did you play? Did you care about the results before you engaged in an effort and got you the negative results? And I deal with people who would rather die than change anything. And yet once they're cured and they have no disease, how many of those people go back to the old ways, and hence the disease comes back six months, a year, six years later. So that's where we're at. We're, we're, at a, we're at a very critical point where the best thing that can happen is more things happen that reveal the truth of how wrong our leaders, our influencers, our policymakers and opinion leaders have been about everything. That might get our attention. Let me give you an example. 48% of Americans still believe in the vaccines for COVID and are getting them on a regular basis. This is from Northern Illinois University, Daniel Nusicio. Quote, scientists warn, declining academic standards mixed with DEI recipe for disaster. A continuing embrace of diversity, equity, and inclusion in STEM uh, combined with broad decline in academic standards is producing 
a generation of scientists who are less capable than their predecessors, warned some scientists in recent interviews in the, the college fix. From easier math classes or no math classes in high school to the elimination of standardized tests to extreme grade inflation, meaning you've got a D, but now you've got an A. And then you're angry and your parents show up, want to beat the hell out of the teacher. How dare you give my you know, daughter an A? It's an A plus with rewards, a trophy. But she got a D. She doesn't study. She doesn't do homework. That's what we're dealing with. But no one seems to care. Okay. Well, Alex Small, the chair of the physics and astronomy department at the California State Polytechnic University in Pomona, said it starts early in a student's education. The, quote, the K-12 system is walking away from standards at all levels. At least a third of them text into a class that's lower than calculus because what happens is the school will push people through the pipeline, meaning it doesn't matter if you learn anything. Just come in, we make our money off of you, and get out. How does that, how is that fair to the student? How does it prepare them for the real world? It doesn't, and you see the effect. That's just one study. By the way, I want to say goodbye to BAI. I'm going to continue to top of the hour. And again, if any of you would like to call in, I'll be happy to take your calls on these. But I'm going to go through a few more. By the way, I've got a, if it works out from London, I've got a, a Mr. Miller calling in tomorrow for the entire hour. It took, I guess it was 13 years ago, I did a seven-hour live nonstop broadcast in defense of Dr. Andrew Wakefield. I debated uh, his opponent for an hour, um, and yet Andrew Wakefield was smeared, his reputation destroyed, and everything that could go wrong, his license revoked, all happened. Now we can prove unequivocally, absolutely, they were wrong, he was right. That's tomorrow. Uh, this is from Elon Musk, someone who, on most issues, I do not respect. Quote, always the plan, Musk reveals Biden's intentional border invasion to create a one-party state. In a series of ex-posts, Elon Musk revealed uh, to his 171 million followers that radical leftists in the White House intentionally sparked the border invasion as a tool to influence congressional district apportionment and electoral college votes. And he is actually correct on that. Then we have this one. Remember I said the best thing that could happen is if you get infected, because we're all going to get infected at some point, but then now you have natural immunity. Now on top of that natural immunity, build up your innate immunity, what you were born with. And I gave you protocols, I wrote multiple articles, uh, and a lot of people took them, by the way. There are countless numbers of people who followed that advice because I've heard from him. Hey, Gary, started to get sick, doubled up on some things, then by the next morning I was fine. What would have happened had they not built their immune system? But I said natural immunity is the key. And we were told, no, natural immunity isn't worth anything. you got to get vaccinated. That's your immunity. This is from the latest study. Quote, booster injections, 
that's your vaccines, after natural immunity of little value. Quote, Venice study demonstrates unacceptably low vaccine efficacy in populations with prior COVID infection. Quote, COVID-19 vaccinations were originally indicated to prevent the first case of SARS-2 infection as vaccine mania set in across the globe. More and more patients had already recovered from the infection, accepting multiple injections with the hope of extra protection or as a result of vaccine mandates. And then it shows that it didn't work. So now the study's in on that. It did not work. The study was published in a peer-reviewed journal. I just read it. Bivalent RNA vaccine effectiveness against COVID-19 among older adults in Japan. A test-negative study from the Venice study. So if you had natural immunity, you're on the right side of everything. If you thought you were going to get natural immunity or from the vaccines, you were wrong. And every one of those vaccines puts you at greater risk of dying. Then we have this. This is from the environment, from Dartmouth College. Permafrost alone holds back Arctic rivers and a lot of carbon. As the Arctic thaws, expanding rivers could unleash carbon equal to millions of cars. Quote, new research from Dartmouth provides the first evidence that the Arctic frozen soil is the dominant force shaping Earth's northernmost rivers. Permafrost, thick layer of soil that stays frozen for two or more years at a time, is the reason that Arctic rivers are uniformly confined to smaller areas and shallower valleys than rivers in the south, according to a study in the Proceedings National Academy of Sciences. But they say here, permafrost is thawing. I've told you that repeatedly. To sum up the debate on the environment, let me just uh, go a little further than before. Fifteen years ago, I did a one-month series of program on the environment. They were called the tipping points. At that time, there were 12 tipping points, up from seven just 10 years before that. Now it's up to 42. So when people say there is no environmental disaster, nothing's happening out of the ordinary, they're wrong. When people say that we have global warming, this was the hottest year on record, the hottest July on record, etc., and we have more remarkable events, about 120,000 per year, they're right. But here's where the divide comes. Those who are right were wrong on virtually all of their timetable projections. If they just would have left it the fact that showing how when the oceans warm up, that changes the conveyor belt that takes warm water from the tropics and takes it up around uh, up around Ireland and Scotland and brings cold water back down, that's a conveyor belt. It's slowing down. It could stop. When it stops, you're going to have a radical shift in weather all over Europe. And they're not prepared for that. And that could happen at any time. So you don't say that it's going to happen next year or six months or two years. What you say is it is in the process of evolving and one tipping point creates another tipping point creates another one. For example, we don't have enough water coming out of uh, Lake Mead and Lake Powell at the Hoover Dam to supply 40 million people living in states like Arizona and Nevada 
etc. in California. So they're rationing. The problem is there's not enough snowfall that creates layer upon layer upon layer of snow and it's frozen, then it melts slowly and releases the water. You have too little snow. And so when it releases, it releases all at once. You get flooding and that's not good. And as a result, instead of doing the right thing, here's the right thing. Restrict where people can live. If you cannot show with proper scientific and geological studies, aqua studies, that there is a sustainable environment, don't allow building permits. Because otherwise you have what we have in California and Utah, right across from California. You have high desert area that has no aquifer at all, gets us water out of Lake Mead or Lake Powell, and then they put in golf courses a lot of golf courses and million, $200,000, million, $500,000 homes, thousands of them. So now people went from California to Utah, and I'm not claiming the aesthetics are not beautiful out there. Desert areas are beautiful, but you can't sustain it. And so they're drawing water off for their golf courses in the high desert so they can maintain their comfort and their standard of living rather than not building. We shouldn't be allowing people to build on the ocean because those are all going to be taken back by the ocean. But we don't listen. And that's why we never do the simple thing, the Occam's razor, the right thing to save the planet. So the people said there's no problem, they're not accurate. When people said there is a problem, they're accurate, but they shouldn't give timelines. Because when you say the, the earth's not going to be habitable in 12 years, that's just foolish talk. So just leave the timeline out of it and look at the collapsing if you want to really want to become informed, re read about the tipping points because that's what you have to be concerned about. All right? We're out of time. Thank you all for listening. And tonight, Danny Schechter, powerful program. I'm going to play a part of Danny's last documentary on uh, the theme is Who Controls America? Well, finance does. And Danny was an economist from London School of Economics, and he was a friend like I was the premiere of this down at the quad, introduced him in the film. So tune in tonight at 7 o'clock. You're going to get a real education. And this was in 2015. Nothing has changed. It's only gotten worse. Have a nice day, everyone.